Luke chapter 22. I want you to find verse 31, and we will read together two portions of Scripture. I'd like you to stand with me as we read Luke chapter 22. I'll talk to you this morning about falling yet not failing. Falling, so if you'll stand with me, yet not failing. I'm going to talk to you about why Peter messed up a lot and yet didn't really mess up bad like, like sometimes we think of ourselves. So you're going to look in Luke chapter 22, we're going to read 31 down to 34, and then I'll tell you to go to the next set, which is 50, 54 to 62. Just follow me, starting in Luke 21, verse, sorry, Luke 22, verse 31. A little complicated, but we'll get it. Standing with me, we will read together, just read these, these four verses, 1, 2, 3, 4, 31, 32, 33, 34, then I'll tell you where to go after that. It's just still in the same chapter. All right, when you found it, let's begin, starting in verse 31, together. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Verse 54 now, You're reading all the way down to 62, verses 54 to 62. <clears throat> Begin. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Maybe some people in this room have experienced such defeat as Peter in that moment. Maybe there are some who haven't. But I know this, we all will. There's not one of us who are capable of withstanding all forms of temptation and all forms of demonic attack. Lord, there are times when we absolutely surprise ourselves how, how far low we go to deny being a disciple of Jesus, to deny even knowing Him. And as it says in one of the other Gospels, to even curse His name. 
And then to see the look on Jesus' face caused Peter to turn and walk away and weep bitterly because of his failure. Lord, I pray that we would look at that this morning and realize that there is a reason why you allowed Peter to fail so spectacularly. Why you want us to look at it and learn from it and not to get to a place where we don't fail, but where we bounce back just like he did in a special, special way. It's the only way. So God, I pray that you just encourage us this morning, not so that we think we will never fail because that was one of Peter's first problems, but to be ready that when we do fail, when we do fall, we do mess up, we do sin, that we can instantly get back right. For Lord, there is such a need for Christians to know how to get right and how to just enjoy, God, the grace of God. When the devil wants to defeat us, and make us feel only like a failure. Lord, in this room, there'll be somebody who's only known a life without Christ and has never known the hope that comes in his name. I pray that they get born again. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, as I said last week, I started off by saying that Christians have the opportunity to do something impossible and the ability of a Christian to press on Even when, we, uh, even when we have failed trying to do the right things. You know, when we fail God, when we, when we go our own way, when we do our own thing and we disobey God and we find ourselves sinning, the miracle is that somehow God's able to take us and get us back on the right track. And this is going to be a good encouraging message. Remember, our main scripture for the year, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I don't know if you remember it. But it's a, it's a priceless truth. This is, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived at the place of perfection yet, and neither have you. But this one thing I do, remember what he does? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that takes a lot of effort because the devil doesn't want you anywhere except ruin and defeat it. So when you're facing your failures, it's hard to press on. So especially when your, your heart and your mind is telling you you're, you're a loser. So I want to encourage you by reminding you that everyone fails in life. In some areas and some people fail in many areas. Last week I gave you a list, a long list of people who failed in their life along the way. And yet you wouldn't have known it. You would only known them as people of success, like the success stories of Walt Disney. I gave you Sylvester Stallone, Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein. People who you say, well, you didn't know about his background or their background and how they became a success through loads of failure. So the truth is this, and they teach this in business, but you need to remember it first started with God. There is no success without first failing. Without, and anybody who ever has succeeded usually has failed intensively beforehand. They just got back up. Now, failure has a way of, of, of ruining Christians when failure is not supposed to. Failure, and I'm talking about moral failures. I'm going to talk about the examples here. Failure hurts. How many have, how many have woken up and just felt like a failure? Don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> But how many of you just have woken up and just go, 
I am a capital F failure. I just, it, it is such a deep, hurting feeling. And it darkens Christians. It makes, it, it robs you of your joy. If you on, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday are reading your Bible, you're handing out tracts, you're giving the gospel, you're, you're singing gospel hymns at home, you're, you're uh, being a, 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 an example at, at work of what a Christian joy is like. And then on Friday night, you watch something filthy, and on Saturday you feel dirty, and then you, 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 um, uh, you, you, you uh, I don't know what you do. You just, you just find yourself falling back into the old habits. Come Sunday morning, it is like pulling a tooth getting you to get into church and to just be around other people because you feel like a failure. Amen? The devil lays traps, I'm going to show, to darken you, to get you to shut down the light. It also depresses Christians. A lot of Christians go through a period in their life where they're saved and they're happy about it, they're joyful about it, they're trying to get everybody else saved, and then they mess up morally, maybe uh, 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 with, a, with um, just things going wrong in their life. They, they just lose their joy. They lose what they think is their faith. And then in the end, they just feel depressed. And it hardens Christians. The more you fail, the devil hardens you. Well, that's not what's supposed to happen. Ultimately, it ruins Christians. And there are Christians who are what the Bible calls cast away. God can't use them anymore, and they are set aside and he doesn't use them. And that ought to terrify you. Because the greatest privilege of any Christian is not to be great, but to be useful. To be at the ready so the Lord says, I can use you here, do this. And when you're not useful to God, I'm telling you, you're only useful to the devil. So it ruins Christians' lives because they get so hard that they don't mind not being used. They don't care that they haven't read their Bible. They don't care that souls are going to hell and they don't witness to them. They don't pray for them. And they're just hard. And they're ruined. And that's not right. Um, you know what the Bible calls us? More than conquerors. That means we're better than conquerors. Whatever the devil throws at us, we can defeat. Not by our own self. Don't get that idea. But First John says we've already overcome this world. And that's breathtaking. We have overcome just by our faith. So this month, we're learning about failing as Christians. You say, what a subject. Yeah, it's a good subject because we all do it. <laughs> and uh, there are seven big areas that we fail in, all right? I talked to you about a very uh, important area, especially for Christians, is our homes. And when we fail in our marriage, we are a failure. Marriage, raising our children, watching them grow up and then never come back for God, never live for God, go off and they live with somebody and they never get married. They have kids, they can't even decide on whether the kids are boys or girls. Can you imagine how being a parent of some of these people who are in the, in, in the limelight, they're, they're politicians and they're movie stars, what do their mothers think? Listen to them talk about their lifestyle and stuff. Failure, raising your children, your career choice. You just feel like a failure. I'm stuck here in this assembly line. I went four years to learn how to be such and such, and here I am making hamburgers. That's how the devil wants you to feel like a failure in your life choices, your worship, your relationship with God. As I said, you just feel like, I just, I just don't get anything out of the Bible. I don't like going to church. I'm a failure spiritually. Maybe your friendships, you look around, you go, 
I have no friends. I got, any, I got news for you. If you ever want a friend, be one. Because he that would have friends must show himself friendly. Just go out and be a friend to somebody. Quit looking for friends. But anyway, a lot of people feel failure in their friendships or lack of them. Finances, never having any money, and ultimately having no purpose in life. That's got to be the greatest failure for any Christian. To, to, to go through life thinking you have no purpose. Let me tell you, you do. You do. Failing in any one of those areas usually ruins your life for good. Now, last week, we looked at King David's sins and failures. Remember, he was a failure as a father. He was a failure as a husband. He was a failure as a believer. He was even a failure as a leader, as the king. And the list is pretty long. Remember, it was not just his, his sin with Bathsheba that was his moral failure. That was just one of them. It was his handling of his sons Amnon and of Absalom. It was his flawed leadership decisions when he's running from King Saul. He actually lied and tried to get in with his enemy, and he became friends with his enemy. And he... he, he uh, ruined the lives for the men that were under him. But here's the truth. We learned last week that God took all of those failures. Instead of God throwing David away, God confronted David. Remember he said, Nathan, and he made it possible for David to still press on and finish his course as a king with joy. Because without God intervening, he would have had a life of only regret. And you do not want to die that way, folks. This morning, we're going to focus on another person who failed in huge ways, and yet God did not let him stay a failure. His name was Simon Peter. Now, when we think of Simon Peter, most people think of him as the prince of apostles, right? And he was an apostle. Uh, he, um, uh, let me stop here for a second. Let me build this thing up here. Peter was an apostle, specially called, qualified and equipped by Jesus to do amazing things. Peter could do miracles. You're in Luke. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Peter did some amazing things while he was following Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew 10, 1, and when he, Jesus, had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal how, many, how much manner of sickness? All right, there was nothing that he, Peter, couldn't fix. He says he could heal all manner of diseases, sicknesses, and all manner of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these, and who's the first one? Simon, who is called Peter, and then Andrew's brother, and so on and so forth. Now, I want you to go down to verse 7, still in chapter 10 of verse 7, it says, As ye go, Jesus, sending them out, he says, As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. You know, heal the easy diseases like colds and flus. I don't know if you can heal a man flu, but at least maybe you could try. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. That's healing the impossible diseases. The lepers, man, they're, they're, they had digits falling off. Skin was falling off. I mean, to go and to heal a leper was doing the impossible. Then it goes even worse. Look at what else it says. Raise the dead. Okay, now we've done really impossible things. And cast out devils. Freely you, give, you have received, freely give. So he's the prince of apostles. He had all of the abilities, and yet he often fell. He failed. He sinned. He messed up as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Now, he did not do it. He did not do it grossly like David did. There are gross sins. Would you agree? 
There are sins that are like un, it's just an unbelievable adultery with Bathsheba, then murdering her husband and covering up. That is gross moral failure. Would you understand that? All right. Peter didn't grossly sin like David did there, but he committed life-changing sins against Jesus Christ. It should have ruined his life. What did he, what did he fail at? Well, uh, he, he struggled with doubt. See, when did that? Remember, he's on a ship. Jesus comes out of the middle of a storm, and he's so eager. He's very impulsive. He's so eager. If that really is you, Jesus, because Jesus says, it's me. He says, let me come out on the water. Ask me to come out on the water to walk on the water with you. I don't know if he really believed he would or not, but Jesus said, come on. So Peter jumps out there and starts walking on that water, and it's fun as long as his eyes are on Jesus. But when he looks at that water and he sees that wind blowing across those waves, he sinks like a rock. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And instantly, Jesus reaches down there and grabs him. I mean, that's the fastest. Only my mother was that fast at grabbing things. Usually it was my ears. And, uh, but Jesus went down there, whoosh, had him and pulled him out of that water. And, and uh, uh, he said to Peter, he says, why did you doubt? Why? So Peter often struggled, just like anybody, with doubt. Thank God Jesus was there. And thank God Jesus didn't want him to drown. Because if I were Jesus and somebody else is sort of not really believing in me, I would have walked on, serves you right. <laughs> not really. But I'm giving you the illustration that Jesus was right there and was not wanting him to fail all the way down. Remember our memory verse, uh, Eric doing that there, saying, though he fall, yet shall he not be utterly cast down, which means hit rock bottom. As a Christian, second area that he failed at, and you listen, we get the idea, and I'm going to say this again in a few minutes, but we get the idea, we get the Catholic idea that all these people in the Bible, they were not sinners. Saint Peter, and he was. Saint Mary, Queen of Heaven. They, I, I have a book, uh, 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 Mary Our Hope. It's a blasphemous book. And every page of it is, if you, it's like they took all the praise that belongs to Jesus Christ and God the Father, and they just put Mary there. But they make it sinless perfection. So there was no sin in Mary. Let me tell you, that is wrong, folks. And now I understand why people worship the priests and the bishops, because and, and why they trusted them with little boys, because they had this idea that the clergy were so close to God they didn't sin. But us laity, us common folk, we're the only sinners here. No, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. You see, when you start to read and you read the Bible, you go, well, Peter wasn't that bad of a Christian. He, was, he probably didn't sin. Oh, he did. He struggled with doubt. John the Baptist struggled with doubt, didn't he? John the Baptist, when he's in prison and Jesus is out free, John sends two disciples. He already knew who Jesus was. He was his younger cousin. He already knew that Jesus was doing miracles, had proved himself to be the Messiah. He had even pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. But when he's sitting in that jail rotting, he sends two disciples. He says, I'm kind of having my doubts. Are you really he that should come? Everybody struggles with doubts. Don't you say, well, I, I, I'm just struggling. I'm not sure if I'm... I understand. you got to understand the doubt's not the problem. Believing the doubt is the problem. 
He doubted. He didn't believe Jesus was alive at the resurrection. You know, on Sunday morning, three days after the crucifixion, several women came into the upper room and told all the disciples, including Peter, that, John, that Jesus was alive again. James and John take a race, and they had, uh, sorry, uh, uh, John and Peter take a race to get down to the tomb. And when, when Peter uh, uh, gets to the tomb, John goes right on in, and Peter stands out there and he looks inside. He looks at that empty tomb and he sees the, the face napkin all folded up over here and the grave clothes all rolled up over there. He looks at that and then he walks away and he just says, I don't know, I don't know. He doesn't believe it. John comes out saying, he's alive! <laughs> the apostle John believes it, amen, but Peter's struggling with it. Peter was impulsive. In the Garden of, of Gethsemane, when, when the... When the, uh, the the mob surrounded Jesus Christ and started to take his hands and bind Jesus' hands. I mean, Peter draws that sword and starts swinging, and he misses somebody's head and get, nips his ear off. I mean, he just reacts. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter sees Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah, Peter says, let me build a couple of tents here, and you guys just stay here as long as you want. He had no idea what was going on, but he's just very impulsive. You know, impulsiveness will get you in trouble, folks. If you just don't stop and think before you speak, if you just don't think before you buy, if you don't think before you do, you're going to do some stupid things. Peter, this is the big thing. Peter was not committed to, to the call of God in his life, not for a while. I'll show you something. Go to Matthew 4. You're in Matthew 9. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And straightway left they their nets and followed him. Sounds so good so far, but go to Luke chapter 5. Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God from Jesus, he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And uh, jump down there now. Uh, in verse, uh, verse 10, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Simon said unto, sorry, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him again. I want you to understand, Jesus calls him, and then a couple weeks later, he's back fishing. Jesus, can I borrow your boat, Peter? He didn't rebuke him. He says, can I borrow your boat? Takes him out to sea. It's actually without going through the story. Uh, Peter's all excited about fishing, but he caught nothing that night, and that's the night that Jesus said, cast your net on the other side, and he draws in these fish, and Peter says, depart from me, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not committed. Jesus said, it's okay, just follow me, and I'll, I'll, I'll make you to become a fisher of men. Go to John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 40. Stuck in all these things is a third time. John chapter 1 and verse 40. 
One of the two which heard John the Baptist speak and following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which was by interpretation, a stone. So three times you find different instances where Peter keeps meeting Jesus and then keeps going back fishing. And I'll show you one more. Uh, go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And this ought to encourage some of you because, listen, God has His hand on you and you are resisting Him working in your life and you keep going back to the old you and God wants to move you to a new you and to a new life, a new purpose. John chapter 21, verse 15. Again, this is, this is after the resurrection. Uh, it's actually a week after the resurrection. And Peter's struggling. Look at, start back in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to his, the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saying to them, guess what? What does he want to do? I want to go fishing. <laughs> now, is there a sin in going fishing? Not at all. But what had Christ called him to do? Preach the gospel, catch men. He says, I go fishing. And you know what? Sometimes your backsliddenness can affect other Christians. I go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth. They entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Now go down to verse uh, 18. Well, yeah, this is, this is that time. If you remember, Jesus says, cast your net on the other side again. They catch so many fish. Jesus is counting the fish there. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? That's this chapter. And he asked, Peter, do you love me three times? Do you love me more than these fish? Look there in verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, you dressed yourself, and you walked whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what, by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him two words again. What are his words all the way from the start time he met him until the last? What does he say? Follow me. But Peter's not so quick to give up. Verse 20, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who was that? That's John. That's the apostle John. Peter looks right at John, which also leaned on his breast, and on Jesus' breast at supper, and said, Lord, uh, so John said this, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee. That's what John had said. Peter, seeth him, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? As if, how is he going to die? Jesus saith unto him, If I will, if it's my will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Just follow thou me. You see his problem? Now it's subtle. I mean, it's not overt. But every time Jesus comes and says, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Jesus is doing something. A few weeks later, where's Peter? I gotta go get Peter. Peter, follow me. <laughs> Peter, and even after the resurrection. He says, do you love me enough to follow me no matter what my will is for anyone else? Peter had a problem. We all do. It's our nature. He failed in his commitment to the call. He also had wrong doctrine. Paul had to rebuke him. Peter was, 
was trying to play both sides. He'd hang out with the Pharisees, and he'd hang out, and they were converted, they were saved, but they were believing that you got saved by doing good works, and by being a good Jew, and by keeping the law. And Peter would hang out with them, but when the Gentiles were getting saved, he would go over and have lunch with them. But he would never just commit that we're all in one family. And he was struggling with the doctrine of, well, do they have to be good Jews, or can they just be by faith being saved? And he was struggling with that, and Paul walked right up to him in front of everybody and rebuked him publicly. He said, it's not possible. It wasn't possible for us Jews, and it's not possible for them to bear the yoke of the law. And he rebuked him because he struggled, Peter struggled with wrong ideas and wrong doctrine. But you have to admit, admit the worst failure of all was when he turned his back on Jesus. Think about it. He denied even knowing who Jesus was, and he allowed the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, the Roman governor, to abuse Jesus without opposition. So if you're standing there, and you're watching down the street, you see one kid standing there, and he's minding his own business, another kid comes up there and just punches him. And you stand there and go, huh. <laughs> and you just go on, go back to mowing your grass, and then you hear the kid screaming, he's being punched and punched and kicked and punched, and you did nothing, you're an accomplice, are you not? And Peter is allowing Jesus to be taken and beaten and pulverized and tortured and murdered, and Peter is denying even knowing him. You see how bad that was? He put up no opposition. Remember, these were sins. They were not just mistakes. They were not just accidents. They were fiascos. They were spiritual catastrophes. When Peter fell off the wagon, so to speak. Now, how is it possible? How is it possible that Jesus' most committed followers would fall so spectacularly? All right, let me give you some biblical reality. All right, you ready? All humans have spots, blemishes, flaws. We all have a past. We all have a a tendency to, to sin. We have an old nature, whether it's Moses, David, Elijah, Sarah, Ruth, Mary, or Simon Peter. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, There is not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Why? For all have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God. We fail. Peter was a man of like passions as we are. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Peter. Paul. All great Christians, all great believers, all great followers of Christ were just like you and I have the same passions. You know what passions are? Lusts, desires, interests, some good, some bad. Acts 14 and verse 15. If you look back there, uh, this is kind of funny. Verse 8, there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. Verse 9, Acts 14, 9, the same heard Paul speaking, who steadfastly behold him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice to him, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Do you ever, you ever wonder why all the movies are made out there in a place called Los Angeles? The place of angels? I don't think there are any angels except dark ones out there. 
the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul, they called him Mercurius, Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. And then the priests of Jupiter, here comes one of the priests of the pagan temple there, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people in honor of Paul and Barnabas. Verse 14, And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of what? Like passions with you. And we only preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities, that's repentance, unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So here's, here's an opportunity to, 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 for, for Paul to say, yes, yes, I deserve all of this adoration, all this praise. I'm a good, I'm, I'm great. I'm, no, no, he says, we're just like you, made out of the same flesh. Peter had all the same struggles you and I had, you and I have still today. Peter even battled with temptation to sin. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That means men and women, boys and girls. And he struggled with the temptation to quit, which is the most constant temptation these days. You know, any one of these sins would have ruined anyone else, and it should have ruined Peter. But amazingly, Peter isn't able to quit, and that's what I want to focus on. Peter, um, uh, Peter, Peter is going to teach us something here. So what made the difference? What made it so harsh, so that in the end, Peter was not a wasted life? Because you could read about it and go, oh boy, Peter fell off the wagon. He never got into the call of God. You know, think about it. If Peter didn't stay in the upper room, didn't decide, you know, I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait and wait and let God just use me. He would never have preached at the day of Pentecost. You know, I just, I'm curious. I wonder if I said this, and if I could scare you. If you backslid, Dean, who does God have intended to use you for to win that will die and go to hell because you got off the wagon and didn't go forward for God? You say, yeah, but I, I, I messed up. Yeah, but is your mess up so important that so-and-so doesn't get saved? Now, I'm being real pointed here. But when we allow the devil to, to take our failure and ruin us, then it might be that there are 3,000 people out there, Peter, that you would never preach to if he had decided. Because when he walks away in Luke chapter 22, remember, he went away, when he sees Jesus, because Jesus has just heard him say, I know not the man. I'm not, I'm not one of his disciples. Curse Jesus. I don't even, I don't, I don't even like him, whatever he was saying. And then Peter looked at him, and, P, and as, uh, Jesus looks at him, and Peter walks away, and he's weeping bitterly, he's convulsing, and I guarantee you, at that moment, moment, he's not thinking of ever trying again. Amen? So what made the difference? I'll give you, here's the short, you ready? It was Jesus. It was his, what made it so that Peter could get up and go back and serve God as such a failure. It was Jesus. And I need you to just nail that in your life. Why do we read about Peter in Acts preaching and thousands getting saved? I mean, the first time he preaches, 3,000 get saved. The next time he preaches, 5,000 people get saved. The next time they can't 
count the number of people. He's just flying. There's something that happened to Peter, and it was his relationship, his closeness to Jesus. I find Peter at least trying to be close to Jesus. He at least tries to pay attention. He wants to learn from and be like Jesus. That's a good thing. Um, you'll find all the time when Jesus is doing something, he'll always take three of the apostles with him. Remember that? Who were the three that were with him usually? Peter, James, and John. When Jesus is, takes all the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes Peter, James, and John even further into the darkness, and he says, guys, pray with me. And I have to say, this is Peter is in that place because he's there on purpose. Peter wants to be with Jesus. And that was his saving, his saving grace. That's what made the difference. So let's go to Luke chapter 2, and I'll show you something about his failure and see if I can help you in yours. Because I can talk about all your victories. I can tell you about how God has blessed you, and he has. But how about where is God in our failure? Let me show you. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day. It will be early morning, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Satan, desire, Satan sets a trap for Peter and says, and Jesus says, Satan desires to enslave you again, Peter. He wants to make a meal out of you like a lion does, uh, like a lion that he is. When you sift wheat, it's because you're going to bake some bread. He says, Satan is going to take you apart bit by bit so that he can pound you and end up making a meal out of you. Not the Bible warn us and say, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may. Peter, the devil wants to make a meal out of you. And by the way, he's very capable of destroying anybody in this room. Peter is pretty strong, pretty stubborn, pretty able to stand up to any kind of, of, of you know, bully, any kind of enemy. I, I believe he knew how to use a sword. I don't know how he missed the head, but he only got the ear, that one guy. But he's not, he's, he's, he's well capable to defend himself, but not against the devil. David wasn't able to, to, to fight against satanic attack and, and temptation. He took down David. He tripped up Samson. He used Eve to trap Adam. He ruined Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And now Satan was after Peter. Listen, if Satan ever comes after you, you better get very close to Jesus Christ. You better have a walk with God that is unparalleled. Now, what does Satan use to end up uh, uh, trapping Peter? Number one, he uses frustration. How many of you ever get frustrated in life? I mean, you're frustrated. I'm coming, I'm going to pick up Mikey this morning, and uh, there's a Sunday driver on the road just before the exit to get off there at the track. And I'm looking at him going, why? Why? This is a motorway almost, really, effectively. It's 120 kilometers. He was really going 80 
kilometers an hour on that road. So I come up behind him, and it's coming up to the turn. And I'm going, do I wait on this guy or do I go around? So I started to go, and I'm going, oh, I have to go back behind him. And the guy's glaring at me through his mirror, like, you're a dangerous driver. I'm going, you're a dangerous driver. <laughs> frustration. What is Peter's frustration? Peter, G, Satan is going to use the fact that Jesus goes wonky here. Jesus doesn't make sense. Jesus is letting these men take him away. He's not defending himself. Jesus is allowing them to, uh, to, to surround and to now to take him to Pilate and to take him to the, uh, to the high priest. Everything's going wrong, and he gets frustrated. Secondly, he uses fear of persecution. Hmm. You know, uh, when, when, when they start asking him, are you with him? You know what he's saying? Not with that loser. He doesn't want, he would have stood for Jesus if Jesus would have put on that crown. But because Jesus was, was in that place of, of abuse, he was a, Jesus was a loser now to, to Peter. Peter says, I'm not dying for a lost cause. Think about it. He says, if they're going to persecute me, I don't want to be persecuted for somebody like Jesus right now. He wasn't even allowed to act impulsively. At least, I mean, he, Peter says, at least Jesus should have said, well done, Peter, thank you for defending me. No, Jesus rebukes Peter when he starts swinging his sword. And then what, is, what does Satan use most of all? He'll use guilt like a knife on Peter. Because from that moment where he has denied Christ, denied even knowing him, and turns back on him, that guilt is like the worst thing you can ever feel. Satan planned to ruin Peter's future, his ministry, his joy, and his potential. But then Jesus made a promise. Look in verse 32. But I have what? Not just defended you. Jesus says, I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus made some promises. He did not promise to keep Peter from sinning. Didn't promise him from keep him from falling. Do you know falling is a necessary part of life? Nod your head. It is okay when your kid falls off the bike, learning to ride the bike. It is okay. I know it's terror. One or I, I think it was Ruth. Did, did you break your arm, or who broke their arm off of the wall? That was Sarah. She climbed on the wall, fell off, broke her arm. Not the end of the world. All right, was for her for those few hours there. For, you know, um, uh, failing an exam at school is okay. Nobody wants to have an F, so they change the grades now. What are the grades? One, two, three, four, five, or something like that. They don't want to use the F. They don't want to use a D. They don't want anybody to feel like they failed. Let me tell you, there are times you need to feel like a failure. Amen. You need to be able to say, honestly, you didn't do well. That's part of life. Somebody doesn't make it on a team, well, we have an award for you for participation. That's wrong. You need to be able to say, I didn't make it on the team, and go on with life. God help us to allow people to fail. Jesus, however, promises to never let us fall all the way down. Go to Jude. Hold your place here. Uh, well, no, go ahead. Go to Jude chapter 1, in verse 24. Jude 1, 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. 
and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. You know who's able to keep you from going all the way down and ruining and you being ruined is Jesus Christ. That's where our praise belongs. You know how what He keeps us by? He keeps us by interceding for us. He is our mediator. There is how many mediators between us and God? One. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You know what that means? He's your stand-in between two enemies. Jesus Christ is who reconciled me and God into a family. He's our advocate. Go to 1 John. Go back to the left. Find 1 John chapter 2. These are amazing scriptures. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. So this is no excuse for you to sin. This is understanding what happens when we do sin. What does the Bible say? Be ye holy, for I am holy. So that's my goal. But along the way, I will fail. Here we go. I write these things that ye sin not. And if any man does sin, what do we have? We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for all our sins. He's the full payment for them. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus defends us against the, against the accuser of the brother of Satan. His blood has paid for all our sins that I will ever commit. He intercedes for us. You know, when the devil shows up and says to God, there goes Craig, you ought to kill him. <laughs> you know what Jesus says? I already died, bud. Get out of here. He intercedes for us. He protects us. He doesn't allow. I'm glad the devil is not going to win in the end. Amen. He's going to present me faultless before the throne, and that is a miracle. Right now, I'm not faultless, but one day he will take everything that's wrong about me and make it right. That's a lot of fixing. He'll faithfully, well, Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will finish it, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's faithfully, he stays faithfully. Well, I don't feel like he's working. Well, that's just because you're hard. Because you've let sin harden you. You've let failure harden you. You've let the devil just darken you. And I tell you what, if you'll do what Peter does here in a few moments, you'll feel the work of the Holy Spirit again in your heart, pulling you back to the Bible, pulling you back to praising God, pulling you back to open your mouth with the gospel. Let me tell you, it's not that far coming back. It just takes a heart. He faithfully works in us, and He's continually follow, calling us follow, calling us forward. <laughs> Go back to the left, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, not only the author of our faith, but also the what? He's the finisher. I like that. He's uh, continually calling. He's, he's not only at the beginning of the race, he's at the end of the race saying, come on, keep coming. Keep coming. Best of all, he encourages us. You know, Jesus says to Peter, he says, I've prayed for you. I pray that your faith fails not. Now, and then he says, and when thou art. It doesn't say if thou art. He says, when you get through this. Listen, if Jesus prays for something, is he going to get it? You better believe it. Do I pray for, get everything I pray for? No. But he prayed that Peter's faith would fail not. And he says, and when you're converted, it strengthened your brethren. That's an encouragement. You know, he's telling Peter, your future is not going to be like your past. 
All this is were kept all because Peter knew Christ. Peter didn't know all about Christ. He knew him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He loved him. He wanted to be like him. Now, what is Peter supposed to do during all this? Go back to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 60. Luke 22, verse 60. Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. A cock is a, is a uh, uh, rooster. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crowed, before 5 a.m., thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The first thing that Peter needed to do was to have some sorrow. What a wonderful word. Now I guarantee you, Peter saw his failure as permanent. He said, I've, I've ruined it. I've, I've gone too far. It's the worst thing I could have ever done. Maybe. As far as Peter's concerned, this was probably the end of his spiritual life. Would you think so? Would you think if, if you didn't read the rest of the Bible yet, if you had read that, you'd say, boy, Peter's done. God's all through with him now. That's what you'd think. He says, my failure is a reason not even to try again. Let me tell you something. It's not all bad to feel that way because that's part of guilt. And guilt is not all bad. Guilt is an awareness I've done wrong. Guilt is good. It's, but it's only good when there's an escape, when there's a way out of it, because guilt without release suffocates. It kills you. That's why a lot of people go into a dark place because of something that either they've done or something was done to them, and they know no way out. I'm glad Jesus is the door. All right? So guilt is good. I guarantee you, Paul, uh, Peter walked away dead on the inside. Man, he had, it's, it's over. No, you and I need to see sin. Our sin is something that was wrong to do. If you ever sin against your, your, your wife or sin against uh, robbing from the company or you ever robbed from, uh, uh, from your neighbor or you ever lie or you ever covet or you ever lust, I mean, all of those things, you should know that that is wrong, amen? They're not just, oh, I, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. It's wicked and wrong. Peter thinks this was the worst thing he could have ever done. He also had no excuse. He couldn't say, oh, well, Jesus, this is your fault. Can you imagine if he tried to blame Jesus for him denying? You know how we should see our sin is letting Jesus down. Jesus had been with Peter for three and a half years, had done nothing but good, and here was Peter in a, in a heartbeat going, I didn't even know the guy. And he let Jesus down. But in that, in that moment, Peter was broken. Amen? Peter was humbled. Sorrow is a good thing to have when you sin. Secondly, confession. Look at verse 32. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, Hmm. You know what faith is? Faith is agreeing with God. Here, let me give you. If I, if, if I met you and you weren't saved, all right? And I pull out a gospel and I says, listen, the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're a sinner. I mean, there's enough sins to send you to hell for all eternity. You agree with that? 
You know what faith is? Is agreeing with God. And the point is that Peter had to confess, which means to agree with the judge, you're right, judge, I'm wrong. Jesus said, that's where the success comes in when you stop arguing. What does Peter say in the next verse, verse 33? Wait a minute, Lord, I won't deny you. I'm ready to go with thee, even in a prison and to death. Really? Is he agreeing with Jesus or is he arguing? He's arguing. He's saying, I, I would never fail you. Yes, you will. Up to this point, Peter would never have imagined that he would do so wrong and fail in so many ways. He would have never, you could never have convinced Peter that he would fail so spectacularly in these next few moments. You know, the best thing you can do when you fail, when you sin, is own it. And go, you're right. I'm wrong. Because at that point, you can claim 1 John 1, 9. What does it say? If we confess our sin, you know what that means? It doesn't just mean say, I sinned. It means believe you sinned. It means agree with God that you sinned. Then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Third thing that Peter needs to do, not only agreeing with God, is have continuous conversion. This is breathtaking. Because verse 32 says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art, doesn't say when he's saved, doesn't use the word when you're born again, he's already saved. But he's not changed. When you're converted, when you're a different man, I want you to strengthen thy brethren. Continuous conversion is, even though you fail, you get up and you believe God can still use you. You believe God still takes broken people and does great things with them. Um, Peter didn't need to get converted again to salvation. That's a once-off deal. But he still needed to be changed. You know, some of you are saved. Many of you are saved, but your wallet's not saved. Yeah, the wallet is still owned by the world. Your eyes aren't saved yet. Your eyes aren't converted. You still let your eyes see things that you know the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to watch. Your mouth is saying things that no Christian should be saying. Your mouth needs to be converted, amen? Your soul may be saved, but your mouth is still living like the devil, amen? Every one of us need to be going through a process of change, constant conversion. And then keep going. Keep following. You cannot fail unless you quit. Do you know, I thought about this. Jesus wastes no training. Jesus had trained Peter and prepared him for a life of service. And the worst thing Peter could do was not to deny Christ. The worst thing that Peter could do was to waste his life and not live for Christ. That's far worse. Because if you're saved, you really won't be able to quit. I have found this to be true. At least not for very long. Because when you ever do try to quit, guess who comes after you? The Good Shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. He's not going to let you alone. Amen? So you can just chalk it up. If your life's miserable, it's probably because you're trying to quit. Amen? He won't let you. He'll bring you back. Start seeing your sin as it really is, is probably one of the best things you could ever do. Guess what God sees your sin as? Already paid for. You do not have to convince Him that you're saved after you've sinned. Lord, remember, I got saved back then. No, he knows. It's already paid for. You're no longer, however, not just a sinner, you're a son. 
if you're saved and you've failed, you've sinned, you don't need to get born again again, you're in the family. You're just going to get, you're just going to get chastened. Ephesians 2.19 says this, You are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. That means God doesn't condemn or punish His children. You know what He does? He chastens us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens every son whom He receives. He doesn't punish. That word punish is used a bit too much all the time. You know, I... Uh, you ought to be punished uh, talking to your children. No, they need to be chastened. If you're ever on the job and you're doing something wrong and the uh, boss comes up, the boss doesn't need to beat you with a stick. The boss needs to say, uh, you're doing it wrong. This is how you need to do it right. And that's what Jesus does. You need to realize that God sees your sins as something that should never be forgotten by you. Now, I know there are things I need to forget. But you know what those things are? The things I need to forget are the things that people have done against me. Those I need to forget. But I never need to forget what I've done against people. Peter never will forget denying Christ. As a matter of fact, God put it in the Bible so he couldn't forget either. <laughs> never forget the wrongs you've done to others. Forget the wrongs they've done to you. But God wants us to never forget what we've done that's wrong. And that keeps us humble. What else does God see our sins as? Something to put under the power of the blood of Jesus' Jesus's atonement. Think about it. Do you know the blood of Christ can cleanse even the memory of our sins and make it so that God is going to make it work out for good somehow. I'm just going to stay around and watch it. Put it under the blood and say, Lord, there I leave it to you. I'm sorry it was wrong, but there. It's not on me. It's under the blood. And lastly, God sees your sin as forgiven and you're free to serve again. If you just get your heart right. Don't ever sit there and, 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 and figure, well, I guess I ruined. Yeah, maybe you can't do X, Y, and Z, but you can still do A, B, C, and D. Um, uh, there's, there's too many, too many Christians. I had a friend years ago when I was in Bible college. One thing that kept coming back on him, coming back on him was his past. And, and he kept saying, I keep failing, I keep failing. I don't think God can use me. I, I, and you know where he is today? Nowhere. He never, he always carried his past and his failures and his sins on him instead of putting them on Christ, instead of putting them under the blood, instead of believing that God could use that's, that's where too many Christians are at. They are at the level of a failure. And that's not what you are, folks. You're a sinner saved by grace. That's not the same thing. A failure is somebody who when they fail and they walk away and they never come back, that's a failure. There are no failures in, in God's kingdom, in His family. There are sons and daughters who sin and get chastened and then get back going because that's what Peter does. After the resurrection, God made sure, had an angel say, make sure you tell His disciples and Peter to meet Him up in Galilee. Make sure you get Peter to, to meet Jesus up there. Because Peter, probably at this point, just can't imagine ever being wanted by Jesus Christ anymore. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. One of these days we're going to be sinless, folks. We're going to be without sin. We're going to be just like Jesus. We're never going to go our own way. We'll never rebel against God. We'll never argue and fight against the Holy Spirit. 
But until then, it's going to be a battle. Why did Peter not fail when he fell? You know what made the difference? What was it that made it possible for Peter to constantly get up and then one day get up there and preach and, and not carry all the sin of the past? He knew what he had done, but he preached the gospel and people got saved. What was it? It was Jesus. It's just Jesus Christ. You know why I'm saved? Because he's the answer to everything. I don't need theology to understand how to go forward. I just need to have Jesus Christ, and I have every reason to go forward. Jesus had a call on Peter's life. He was not going to let him go. Even though Peter kept trying to go back, Jesus kept saying, come forward. Whenever Peter failed, you know, Jesus never brought it up. After, after, Jesus, after Peter fell into the water and Jesus picked him up, Jesus never reminded him of that failure ever again. Wouldn't that be nice? His forgiveness is absolute. And you know what probably we're missing is the filling of the Holy Spirit that Peter got on the day of Pentecost that helped him to have joy in spite of such failure. Ask God to make it so that you can't quit. Because that's his, that's his greatest delight is to just come after us like a good shepherd and to say, I'm not going to let you quit, Craig. I'm not going to let you quit. I'm not going to let the devil. I'm, I've prayed for you, Craig. I've prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you're changed, I want you to turn around. I want you to strengthen all your brethren. Now, what if you're not a true Christian? Maybe if you're a Christian only in name, I'm going to tell you this. You need to fear the wrath of God because the sin's not on Christ. It's still on you. And if he has to judge sin, you look at his son and look at how seriously he had, he had to deal with sin when he had to judge his son. That's the sin that you're going to have to face, and the judgment you're going to have to face. So if you're not born again this morning, you need to fear the coming wrath of God and turn to Christ. Ask Him to save a wretch like you, and guess what? He will for all eternity. Father, I ask that you would take this thought about failure in Peter's life and encourage us that you won't let us stay that way. Lord, when the devil tries to make us defeated, he's got every tool and weapon in his, in his lap that he can use, and it's very powerful because it's working. But you, our intercessor, our mediator, our stand-between, our protector, our shield, our our defense, our fortress, our savior, you're, you're the reason why we can go forward, even when we fail. Lord, there's something very important this morning that probably needs to pray and needs to understand, and that is we all fail. And in our failure, we have not failed. We have sinned. We've done our own way. We've made up our own mind. We've lived in our pride. We've thought we would never would have done something, and then we do it. And we're ashamed and we're guilty. But we have not truly failed until we say, I quit. God, would you please help this church once again have the joy of just serving Jesus and not the, the, the death of guilt and shame because we've never come out of that hole. Lord, you bring us out. You bring us up out of the water. You bring us through the denial. Lord, even though our sin grieves you and grieves us, 
Thank you, you still use us. Lord, we're a small church. I don't know what all we could do, but I want to do something. Anybody wants to look very close at any of our lives, we're a mess. But it's Jesus Christ that gets all the praise and the glory for the good that's ever done. And I pray that we would just step out by faith. We would do greater things than we've ever imagined. Not because we're so perfect, so above sin, but that we know how to handle it when it gets us and it traps us and it tricks us. And we just get back up and we serve by faith still. In Jesus' name, amen.